Welcome to the Multifamily by the Slice Podcasts with your hosts, Dre Evans and Ike Eke. On this show, you'll gain unique perspectives from investors and professionals on all aspects of the apartment investing space. Do you want to achieve legacy wealth and live a life of financial freedom? Well, all it takes is that first slice of wisdom to get you started on the journey to building your empire. Please subscribe to the show, leave a five-star review, and pass it along to a friend that can benefit from a slice of multifamily knowledge. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Multifamily by the Slice. Today, we had David Milan on the show. He is the Director of Investor Relations at Nighthawk Equity. Um, also works for Michael Blanc, who is a, a huge, huge presence in the multifamily industry. And he brought a lot of knowledge, specifically about capital raising, investor relations, building relationships, communicating effectively, just a whole lot of information for those of you out there that are still raising capital and still working on deals. And I happen to enjoy the show as the first one of this year. And we started off with a bang. She, what are your thoughts? Yep. I, I loved it. If you want to pick up some tips about how not only to raise capital, but also nurture the relationship. And if you want to pick up some tips and tricks on how capital raising from a larger operation looks, listen to this episode. Absolutely. Absolutely. So without any further ado, let's get into it. Welcome to the Multi-Family by the Slice Podcast. I'm your host, Dre Evans. I've got my two great calls here. IKK, Chi, Nguyen. This is going to be great. I'm, I'm excited about this. Uh, I want to thank everyone for tuning in for another great episode. If you're a first-time listener, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. And if you're a returning listener, leave us a five-star review. It is Thursday. I feel like the week went by fast. I'm excited for the weekend. It's Martin Luther King, Junior Weekend, actually. So it's yes, sir. very long for some people. But before we introduce today's guest, I have to check in with my two amazing co-hosts. Ike, Chi, what's going on? Man, new year, new us, perhaps? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> 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 no, the things are going well. Things are going well, man. We just started off the new year. This is our first recording for the new year. It's, it's the 12th of January. I feel like, you know, we, we've had production meetings prior to this, and, and we are super excited for the new additions to the show, as well as some of the new concepts we plan to release this year. So, you know, I'm just drafting off that energy, man. I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. Chi, how you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. I think you guys know I worked over the holiday break, but for some reason, I still got an avalanche of work as soon as the new year hits. We just placed bids on over $7 million worth of bids this week. So it's been quite busy, but I am excited for the MLK Day weekend. I'm going to go camping in Ooh. Big Bear. So yeah, winter camping. So with all the crazy weather we've been having, I might hit some landslides and, you know, <laughs> but we'll see how it goes. It, uh, so I, like if any fun activities planned with the camping or you just got like a little spot, you're just going to hunker down and do something chill. Yeah, we're just going to chill. It's like well, it's starting to be like an annual tradition with my little brother and his now wife and their friends. So some family time and just kind of catching up over the fire and playing some board games. And yeah, it's it's going to be very cold. So you might just, yeah, hang out. That's super cool. I like that. Yeah, I share the same excitement as I as well. I am very excited about 
where we're going, you know, the new years, as, as I've been saying, it's the Jordan year, 2023. And just the show, as you know, like Chi, I'm excited to have you on board. As you know, there's other exciting things of the podcast that I will not reveal that the listeners will see come forth as the year progresses. But I, I'm just super excited. So without further ado, Ike, you want to introduce today's guest? Absolutely. Today we have David Milan on the show today. He is an investor relations extraordinaire. He works with Michael Blanc at Nighthawk Equity. And, you know, he knows all things capital raising, all things investor relations, and it's going to be an exciting show. So without further ado, David, welcome to the show. All right. Thanks for having me on board, guys. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So just to kick it off, tell us a little bit about your background, you know, how you got into to real estate, what you're doing in real estate now, and and how do you plan to grow? Yeah, absolutely. So a little about me right now. So as kind of mentioned, I work for Nighthawk Equity. Nighthawk is, if you don't know who Nighthawk is, you may know Michael Blanc. It's kind of, we're affiliated with Michael. We are the a passive investing branch of Michael Blanc's company. And my specific role within Nighthawk is I am the director of best relations. So I'll kind of get into what my day-to-day looks like right now in a bit. But as far as my background goes, nothing extraordinary. You know, anyone can kind of do what I'm doing. And to be honest, it was kind of just happenstance that I got into the industry. Around 2017, that's when I graduated from college. I'm actually from the same area that these guys are from, San Diego. And so I went to UC San Diego, majored in economics. And you know, shortly after that, shortly after I graduated, I knew I wanted to do something related to econ, but I don't know, I didn't know what. Um, and so I've always kind of been, you know, finance minded, and uh, you know, I just really like you know the way that global markets work, and you know, building wealth, things like that. So I figured real estate might as well be a good fit. Saw a couple, you know, job postings that were real estate related. I didn't know too much about real estate. I was just, you know, kind of looking for anything, you know, finance related, econ related, things like that. And so that's when I jumped in. So about 2018, got my first job, happened to be in investor relations, and it was to a company local to San Diego. Um, and that's kind of where I got my start. That's where I learned pretty much all of the foundation that there was to learn about real estate investing. Um, I didn't know the first thing about what a syndication was when I first got started. Just kind of, you know, just kind of, you know, went along and learned details day by day and how to talk to investors, especially, you know, some valuable skills in terms of how to talk to high net worth investors, you know, the structure of syndications, things like that. Just kind of build my knowledge up day by day. Fast forward a couple of years after that, it was time for me to make a change, move on to a new role. And that's when I kind of joined forces with Michael. I knew he was looking for someone in investor relations, made the leap to director at that point. Um, and, you know, I've been working with Nighthawk for about two and a half years now almost. And, you know, so total five years in the industry. So that's five years of, you know, talking to high net worth investors, figuring out strategies to kind of, you know, in terms of marketing, getting our brand out there. Um, and I've learned a lot over the past five years. And, you know, I, I want to be in this industry for a very long time. So that's a little bit about my background here in terms of what my day to day looks like, you know, in terms of investor relations, you know, it's not just IR. I wear a lot of different hats at Nighthawk, but my main job is to service investors to the highest degree. And so essentially my job is to make sure that they're comfortable with details of their investment. I'm here to answer any questions that they have, walk them through the investment process, things like that. And so part of what I want to do or the main thing that I want to do is not just raise capital. I want to engage with the investor. Um, I want to answer any questions they have, alleviate concerns that they have. And I kind of look at my role as being almost a relationship building specialist. If that was my job title, it would be you know totally accurate because that's what I do. Oftentimes I'm the first person that first person in the company that investors see or get to talk to. And so I have to kind of, you know, provide information about like service level information about Nighthawk and then kind of dig deeper into, you know, what investment looks like, uh, things like that for investors to kind of provide value for them. And then, you know, beyond that, my my main goal here is to raise capital other than, you know, servicing investors. I'm, I'm kind of in charge of the capital raising process from A to Z. 
My job is to make sure we get to the finish line on these raises so that we're able to close. And then a little bit, you know, as an aside, I also dabble on the marketing side, create, you know, quality content for investors and potential investors. And I kind of help build up Nighthawk's image to the world and and show us or show everyone what we're all about. Interesting. Interesting. So, you know, we actually have similar backgrounds in that, you know, for undergrad, we we were in the, a finance-based role. I did accounting undergrad, believe it or not, okay. and you did econ. Generally, those individuals in the professional world aren't really outward facing. Let's just let's just say that to put it nicely. So I'm wondering, you know, how you made that transition. How did you sort of decide that, you know, I want to have a, you know, a more outward facing role in in my professional career, still be, you know, adjacent to finance, still be adjacent to economics, but interacting with people that aren't necessarily in the industry? Yeah, it's a good question. I think that's kind of, uh, if you dig into it, that's kind of how I decided on, you know, real estate investing or more specifically than that, investor relations. I, I have this debate all the time with myself in college where I kind of felt the same thing as you. It's not very outward facing facing in terms of the degrees we had. And I always felt like, you know, there's a lot of lucrative paths to pursue when you have, say, an econ degree or an accounting degree, things like that. But I also wanted some sort of mix where, you know, I wasn't stuck in a cubicle all day and just kind of, you know, typing away at spreadsheets. And that was kind of, you know, my nine to five. I always wanted some sort of balance when it came down to it. I like I like hunkering down on spreadsheets. I like crunching numbers and things like that. But equally, if not more, I also like interacting with people. I like talking with people, not just investors, but people in general. And I think, you know, maybe subconsciously, I'm not sure if I actually had this thought, but as an investor relations guy, I kind of felt like when I first applied for that job, this is kind of a mix of of both of those things, right? It's not, you know, I'm not the type of person where I could just talk to people all day, like from nine to five every single day, just, you know, talk their ear off. I'm not that type of person. And I like a balance between the two. So like a little bit of number crunching, you know, data analysis, things like that, but also, you know, actually being able to speak to investors, make a difference in people's lives and just kind of have that human experience as well, where it's not just crunching numbers on a spreadsheet. So I think it kind of, there's a nice balance between the two. And that's partially why I settled in this industry, I would say. It makes sense. It makes sense. Uh, you know, so there was something you mentioned there that you don't simply raise capital, that you're more interested in building relationships with your clients. What's the difference? And and sort of explain why there's an important there's an importance in making a differentiation between the two. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a very important distinction between the two. The way that to me, the way you need to look at it is we're not simply asking for money and that's the extent of the job, right? Any syndicator or any person really could just go and ask for money. They may or may not be successful in terms of raising capital, unlike that, but they're not going to be successful in terms of cultivating and and maintaining these relationships with investors to you know, potentially have them become lifelong investors. And uh, so we at Nighthawk, you know, we're, we're presenting investors with an opportunity for an incredible investment. It's not just, hey, we need your capital. It's, hey, come build with us, come grow with us. We'll make a big difference in your lives in terms of being able to facilitate some sort of passive income portfolio for you, free up your time so you can do whatever, or maybe it's just wealth building for you. We'll, we'll make that happen for you. Um, and so in order to get investors on your side and in order for them to kind of make their way in through the door, you need to establish that trust factor with them. And that ultimately comes from getting to know your investors, conversing with them, and ultimately just kind of taking care of them. I have, you know, my current job with Nighthawk, you know, it's, we, we call them intake calls. We do 506B deals. And for people who don't know what that is, it's basically we can allow in both accredited and non-accredited investors. There's just restrictions on how we can market it. But we have to be able to prove that we have a pre-existing relationship with them, that investor in the form of a phone call. And so partially, those these intake calls, that kind of accomplishes that. But the other thing that it accomplishes is I'm able to start building a relationship with those investors 
And that's very important if you want them to, you know, keep not only giving you their their capital and and having their trust, but just uh, you know, kind of having your name out there as one of the more trustworthy syndicators. So that's not the entire you know extent of the equation. There, obviously, you know, you need to have their trust in order for them to invest. You also need to have quality you know operators on your side, general partners that know what they're doing. They're able to de- deliver high quality, successful investments that will build investors' trust over time. There's also gifting components, things like that that I won't get into, but. It's very important to have that trust factor because, again, that's kind of the distinction there. Simply asking for money from investors that might be good for a one-time deal, but you know, in order to kind of open the door and and really widen the pool of investors that you can service, you need to be able to have them be able to trust you. Essentially, there's many different ways I feel like you can take this conversation, especially for listeners that are list are out there. I'm gonna say target this question to those that they probably syndicated a deal or two, or and they're trying to become more efficient and have that same growth as Nighthawk. You know, I listen to you guys' Financial Freedom podcast. I'm sure everyone knows about Michael Blanc and the law of the first deal. He's done quite a bit of work, very well respected in the community. I know you all also have like the coaching program too. And I know quite a few people that have been through that program. But my first question is going to be this. What was slice of slices of knowledge which you give to people in terms of continuously building that investor network? Like what what, what do you all do? And I direct that more specifically, is it you all are going to real estate meetups? Is it you all are maybe sending out postcards? Is it more a lot of attention geared towards the podcast? Is it maybe you're going to hospitals? That's what I mean in that specific approach. What are you all doing to grow that investment network specifically? Who, how are you targeting people? How are you doing that? Yeah. So that's that's a good question. And it can be a complex answer depending on, you know, there's different ways to categorize them. If you're talking about uh, brand new investors, how are we kind of doing that with them? Yeah, brand new. Investor? Okay. Brand new. Yeah. Brand new investors. A lot of it comes from Michael's podcast. Definitely. He's He's got a lot of reach. He's a big name in the industry. And um, if you if you've listened to his podcast every so often, he'll you know shout out Nighthawk, encourage investors to kind of go in and sign up with us, book a call with me. That's kind of how our funnel goes. So especially in the early stages of Nighthawk, that's how we secured the majority of our leads, if not almost all of them. But within the last couple of years, you know, since I've on, been on board, one of the things that I've tried to you know, do uh, or implement in terms of an initiative is there's a couple of different ones. There's a referral system where okay. you know, that's, that goes a long way in terms of you know, when I'm speaking to two or three investors per day, that's you know, 10 to 15 per week. If you ask every single one of them for a referral, and even if just one of those 15 you know, in a week gives you a referral, that will grow exponentially over time and create a snowball effect where your world, the word about Nighthawk will get out much, much quicker than if you had not done that. Mm-hmm. So referrals is a big part of that. Um, and we've also kind of started we're very much in the infant stages of doing it, but we've also started to kind of, you know, get the engine started in terms of our marketing initiative as well. So previously we would rely on Michael's podcast. He would, you know, shout us out and, and that would be great. We still do that. It you know, provides awesome results, but now we're actually trying to start a marketing you know, team on our own, right? Nighthawk marketing as opposed to just Michael Blanc. So right now we're, we're doing what we can in terms of you know, things like this, appearing on podcasts. You know, we upload content every single week in terms of blog posts now and videos where I'll interview you know, one of the partners, Drew Niffin, and kind of you know, on a video, I'll, I'll ask him about things that are going on in the market or things you know, specific to our properties or just real estate investing in general. He'll answer them. We'll publish that on YouTube. And, you know, we'll get some subscribers on that. We're still growing it a little bit, but it's something where, you know, it's, it's making a difference in terms of, you know, every now and then someone will come to, uh, and schedule a call with me and they'll be like, Hey, I heard about you through YouTube. You guys are great. And, and, you know, we encourage them to spread the word about it. So 
we're really trying to, you know, kind of put it in our own hands instead of just relying on Michael here, build up our marketing program and do things like, you know, being guests on podcasts and things like that, really to spread the word about us. So it's it's kind of a confluence of different factors here. Now, as far as existing investors go, that's that's kind of a different topic. I would say that one of the main things we do is we actually do a gifting program. And there's a lot of people I've talked to that that might think that's like not the best use of your money. You know, you could spend that elsewhere. You could do that to improve a property, things like that. But we found that gifting our, our especially our high net worth investors is very, very useful because we're not just gifting them, you know, small things here and there. It would look kind of silly if, you know, they put in $500,000 into one of our deals and we got them, you know, a $25 gift card or something like that. These are, you know, high quality gifts that we give them that cost, you know, sometimes $1,000 per gift. It's just a nice little token. It's a way of us saying, hey, we really, really appreciate you. Um, that kind of goes back to the relationship building that I talked about with Ike. It's not just us asking for their money. It's it's us being very, very appreciative of it, making sure we continue to nurture that relationship with them um, and making sure that it's kind of a mutually beneficial relationship, I would say. So gifting goes a long way. I would recommend that to anyone who's trying to kind of maintain relationships or improve their relationships that they have with existing investors. Yeah, I would agree with that. We do that at our fund too. When Christmas rolls around, we send steaks, we send dinners, we send nice quality things to our to our investors. And also I've been on the other side of it when I've actually used chosen one hard money lender over another for my own personal portfolio, my own deals, and they send me something during the holidays. I'm like, that's sweet, you know? So I think that definitely makes a difference. I'm reading a book right now called Contagious, how to, I forgot the tagline below, something like how to make selling something relationships. But it really is the the biggest takeaway from that book is really you're dropping the ball if you're not nurturing those relationships. As soon as you close a deal, you need to reach back out to them and ask them, you know, how they're doing, how they're feeling. Do they have any more questions? I think a lot of people, you know, once they get, they close a deal or they get the capital, they kind of, yeah, they're like, great, on to the next. And I think that's one of the biggest mistakes you can make in, in investor relations and capital raising. Yeah, absolutely. It makes a huge difference in our eyes. We want to take care of our, all of our investors that, you know, put any sort of capital towards us and kind of trust us to, you know, put that capital to use and what better way to do it than to provide them with high quality gifts. So, you know, it's no secret that it's a little more difficult now to get deals and, and raise capital than it was before, given the tumultuous times we're in, in terms of real estate pricing, lending, things of that nature. I'm wondering, is the messaging to your existing and new investors any different? How are you raising capital in the current climate? Yeah. So I would say, you know, a lot of aspects of it are the same. There are some aspects that are different. One of the things, you know, we, I can't talk about too much. We just went under contract on a property, but because of all the 506B, you know, SEC regulations can't go too much into it, but we're looking at securing a property right now. And this is just kind of the outline, one of the silver linings about, you know, even, even everything that's going on with the macroeconomic climate is, you know, despite rising interest rates and everything like that, obviously those create a lot of headwinds here, but we're looking at securing a property for, you know, basically $10 million less. Like we're looking to secure it at about 25 million right now. When, you know, you look at about eight to 10 months ago before a lot of this, this sort of thing happened, the purchase price of that property was about 35 million. So there are ways to kind of frame it differently where everyone knows that, you know, the rising interest rate environment is creating, you know, a big issue for, you know, not just syndications and real estate investors, but, you know, the markets everywhere, economic markets everywhere. But there are ways to kind of capitalize upon that and take advantage of it. And so if you make those things clear to your investors, I think it can go a long way in terms of enlightening them to the fact that, you know, there are positives about this situation and there are still, you know, very high quality deals out there. You just have to find them. So that's what I would say as far as that goes. 
Now, the other thing that I want to mention is, you know, one thing that we are, one thing that Nighthawk has always done is, you know, we've always been very conservative when it comes to underwriting our deals. And so that's something that has remained very constant for us, especially when, you know, in this type of environment with the rising interest rates, we want investors to know more than ever how conservative we are because, you know, if things go bad with, you know, the broader market, we like to think that we're prepared for that. We prepare for the worst. We want our investors to know that. And so that's something that has always been a big part of our marketing and how we kind of present our deals to investors, but even more so now because that's kind of, you know, forefront to everyone's mind. They want to know exactly what you're doing to kind of tighten up the underwriting. So that all goes back to just kind of, you know, alleviating investor concerns, take care of them. You want to be able to, you know, kind of let them know exactly what you're doing um, in terms of the underwriting of these properties so that, again, they'll be able to trust you when they, you know, provide their capital to you. You don't have to worry about that later on. So those are the types of things that are a little bit similar, but, you know, some, some somewhat different, I would say, when it comes to how we present deals and how we communicate to investors in this current environment. That, that reminds me of a time a couple of years ago when I was, you know, speaking with a potential investor about a syndication that I was working on. And when we were going through the the pitch deck and and you know some of the material that I was I was sending to him, he told me you know the returns weren't good enough, like they, they weren't high enough. And I was explaining to him, hey, look, you know, I, I like to underwrite really conservatively because down the line you don't know what's going to happen in the future. And he ultimately did not invest simply because the stated returns on the underwriting were were too low. But you know the silver lining in that is that I'm now known as a conservative underwriter. And if I were to go back to the same investor or someone similar to that investor that expected higher returns prior to what we're, what we're experiencing now, it'd be much, it's a much easier sell because they know that my underwriting will most likely be very conservative compared to what actually will happen in the future. So, you know, building that brand as a conservative, conservative underwriting shop, um, it helps in times like this. I, I, I definitely agree. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that kind of brings to mind another, you know, point about, you know, conservative underwriting is, and this is just like a general FYI, you know, I'm investor relations, so I have to point this out, but there's a lot of operators out there that, you know, they project super high returns and, you know, it looks great on paper. Maybe they're projecting a 25, 30% IRR or something exorbitant like that. It sounds great, but there's more than one way to kind of break down that deal. It's not all about just the projected returns that you're offering or at least forecasting. It's about, you know, and, and Nighthawk's very similar in this respect too. You know, I mentioned the conservative underwriting. We're in kind of the, the business of under promise over deliver, where we'd actually rather err on the side of caution with our forecasted returns, maybe project something slightly lower than you know what you might see elsewhere. But what really matters is kind of the underlying assumptions beneath those forecasts. And as long as those are rock solid, you know, sky's the limit, you you can very well exceed those projections, but you feel good about projecting those because, you know, it would take a lot to go wrong or to not meet those projections. All right, we're gonna move on to the second part of the show, the legacy round. Chi, you wanna take it? Yeah, let's go. So it's an open forum and you can answer just one or you can go really quickly round robin to all three. Your favorite acquisition that forever changed the trajectory of your business or practical tips on how to grow a portfolio or how to build your investor network. Okay. What was that second one? Practical tips on, or was that, what was the second one that you asked? Yes. Practical tips on how to grow a portfolio. Grow a portfolio. Okay. Let me see here. Which one do I want? I'm thinking... So if we're if we're answering practical tips to grow your portfolio, are we talking about from an active side, a passive side, or does it really matter? Let's go active. 
active side. Okay. I'll take a stab at that. You know, we're like I mentioned, we're kind of the passive branch of, of Michael's company. So I don't have a ton of expertise on the active side, but I do talk to a lot of investors that are on the active side. And I mean, it, it's kind of generic. It's not, you know, groundbreaking stuff, but I would say by far the most common thread of all those active investors in terms of what they did to build their portfolio is network, right? Everyone talks about it. It's no secret. Networking is 100% the key for a variety of different reasons. But for one, you're able to meet people that you would otherwise not have known. You're able to kind of use their services, benefits you and it benefits the other person because they're able to you know, use your services, ideas, et cetera. You can bounce things off each other that, you know, you know otherwise you, wouldn't, you might meet someone who has 30, 40 years of experience in the industry that you otherwise never would have met. So I know that you guys do a meetup in San Diego. So I know you guys are no strangers to uh, to networking. And so you can definitely speak to that. But every every single time I've asked any sort of active investor with experience, what's the best thing you did? It's always networking, 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 networking. That's kind of the key. And just talking to people, getting new ideas and uh, new experiences that you can parlay into your own success. All right, we're going to move on to the last part of the show then. The Giordano round, my favorite round. As you know, this is the Multi-Family Butter Slice podcast, and Giordano's is the number one pizza spot in Chicago, known for these thick, meaty slices of pizza, each one just a mouthful. So this is going to be a series of questions between myself, Ike, and she that we're going to hurl at you, David, and you have to answer them. And our listeners are going to walk away with a mouthful of knowledge after each one. So the first one, you're on the top of the highest mountain in the world. These are the last words before you die. What will you scream out to the world, David, and want them to remember you by <laughs> this is a great one. I like this one. I would say, you know, I would, as far as quotes go, I like to keep it kind of simple. Mine would probably be something like, I made it. You know, you don't have to say too much at that point. You're already, uh, you know, you're already at the top of the highest mountain in the world. Your body of work is the fact that, you know, it's evidence to the fact that you're right there. Um, so there's nothing else to say other than, I made it. You know, here's what I accomplished. Look at me and, and kind of, you know, be proud. So I made it. I love that. That's got to, you got me having a big smile on my face for that. That's really cool. Yeah. Short and okay. simple. I think it's effective. Okay. If there was one slice of wisdom you wish you knew when you got started or advice you could pass on to others, what would it be? Yeah. So it's funny. We were just talking about networking. I know I just mentioned that. So that would have been my answer for this. Uh, it feels you know kind of redundant to say it again. And, and honestly, it's kind of generic. So I'll try to think of something else. Um, advice that I could pass on to others. I would say just, you know, kind of educating yourself. I mean, you know, a lot of people just jump right into it in terms of, you know, I'm, I'm keeping it specific to real estate investing. They jump right in, they kind of, uh, you know, learn things by trial and that will work for some people. But uh, for a lot of people, I think it's it's best to just kind of educate yourself through books, podcasts, blogs, things like that, and really kind of know what you're getting into and, you know, keep yourself informed about it before you do it. Um, and, you know, I did mention that it works for a lot of people. I do know a couple of friends who just, you know, did that. They didn't educate themselves at all. They kind of jumped right into it. And, Ultimately, they didn't know what they were getting themselves into. They figured it was, you know, way too much work, way too much hassle, and they ended up quitting. When in reality, if they had, you know, educated themselves by, you know, reading a couple of books about it, they were expected or knew what to expect going into it. So I'm a big proponent of reading, you know, even not just related to real estate, read about anything, educate yourself. I think that's, you know, probably the most powerful thing for yourself that you can do. Invest in yourself, read about it. And, you know, from there, you're able to dive in with some sort of, you know, expectations about it and, you know, knowledge of how to conquer it. Number three, vocat. What are your favorite or three most critical real estate terms multifamily investors should know and why? All right. So let's go with, uh, I mean, you can't evaluate deals without knowing metrics, right? You want to know in terms of important vocabulary, you want to know what metric, what different metrics mean, how you can apply them to real estate investing. So uh, three ones that we actually, we, all, we, we do use three 
specifically three very common ones. So cash on cash return, IRR or internal rate of return and equity multiple. So those are kind of the three fundamental metrics that we use. I know a lot of people across the industry use those as well. There's no point in evaluating a deal without knowing those. And you need to know, you know how they're related, how they're different, how you can apply it to certain deals where you know one of them might be low, but it's still you know a very high quality deal. And you know, you can't really get yourself into an investment confidently if you're if you're not able to analyze it like that. And it all starts with those three fundamental terms. So I'm going with those metrics. All right. Back to education. Since you love it so much. <laughs> education is critical in this business. What books, apps, or mastermind groups, what do you recommend listeners immerse themselves in? All right. So what books? So let's see, a couple of personal favorites of mine. Number one, I gotta I gotta shout out Michael Block. You know, he has his book. Uh, and I actually read this multiple times. It's you know, passive investing through real estate, or uh, excuse me, it's passive income through real estate. And you know what? I'm getting mixed up. Financial freedom through real estate investing. Apologies about that. There's so many books out there about it. But um, his book is awesome. You know, he breaks down these concepts in ways that uh, they, they honestly are very complex concepts, but he breaks them down into simplistic terms where anyone can read it, anyone can understand it. And that's a great, you know, kind of beginner's book in terms of, you know, if you know absolutely nothing about real estate investing on the active side, go read that book and you know, you're halfway to, you know, being an expert and certainly know more than your average person after doing that. So had to shout out Michael's book. Another couple ones that aren't, you know, necessarily real estate investing related, but kind of changed my life as far as shifting my perspective. Everyone knows Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. That was one of the first financial education books I ever read. Um, and really it just kind of shows you that you don't need to necessarily earn a high income or, you know, you know, pursue higher education. Obviously you can do that if you'd like, but it's not necessary in order to build a, you know, incredible net net worth. So I would say that is a great one in terms of shifting people's, you know, overall philosophy about it. And then in a similar vein, in terms of general, you know, financial education, I would say Millionaire Next Door by Thomas J. Stanley. Not sure if you guys have read that one, but that was actually the very first book I read in terms of financial education. And, you know, frankly, that's something that's, that's, I would say is lacking a lot in, you know, American education or really Western education. A lot of people don't know how to, you know, take care of their own finances. And, this is something that kind of puts into perspective for you. It's very, again, you know, basic reading in terms of breaks down the concepts for anyone to understand. And I think anyone, you know, whether whether it's someone who's just starting out and they don't know anything about finances or someone who's an expert on it, anyone can, you know, attain great value out of reading that book. So I would say those three books are, are where I'd start. And take it. Okay. Number five, what is the most important skill to build to be successful in real estate investing? Most important skill, I would have to go with being personable, right? So just kind of, you don't have to necessarily be a people's person, but, you know, and I'm talking about specific to my role. It, it definitely does help with real estate investing in general. With investor relations, I can speak to that a little bit more thoroughly because I've been in this industry for a few years now. I would say being able to talk to people, right? That That's a skill in itself, you know, knowing how to like understanding concerns that people have understanding how to break down complex topics to them and kind of show them things that they might otherwise not have seen. Things like that go a long way. Obviously, that's specific to my industry, but I would say in general, you know, you know, being a people's person or at least being personal to people, that will go a long way in terms of building out your network, getting people to like you, getting people to trust you, which is, as I mentioned before, especially important when it comes to raising capital. All right. Last question. What is the very first action you would advise a brand new investor to take to start their real estate journey? It's very simple, but my just two words for that, just go, right? So what I mean by that is paralysis by analysis is a very widespread thing when it comes to complex, really just like daunting rules, especially when it comes to real estate investing. 
I know a lot of people who just haven't started because they they're literally just paralyzed by all the numbers out there, all the you know vocabulary terms, the definition, and just kind of the uh, the mystery of everything. And uh, by kind of just applying that mindset of just go, just do something, uh, it starts to become less of an uh, unknown and more something that's familiar with you. And as you kind of you know make your way day by day, just you know doing something here, doing something there, maybe just like reading for 10 minutes about, you know, real estate investing or going on bigger pockets and reading a blog post, whatever it may be. It doesn't have to be a lot, but that's exactly what it does. It decreases the unknown factor. It gets you a little bit more comfortable with it. And, you know, humans naturally just start to, you know, kind of build upon that. And, you know, you'll, before you know it, you know, a month has passed and you have, you know, infinite more knowledge than you did when you first started. Everything seems a little bit less scary. So I think for a lot of people getting started doing that very first thing is the toughest part of, you know, any sort of, you know, difficult endeavor. But once you do that and you just go, I think you'll you'll kind of be surprised at what you could accomplish doing that. All right. How can multifamily about a slice listeners best get in touch with you? Yes, great question. So uh, what I will do is I'll just I'll just kind of shout out a link here. So anyone who wants to book a call with me and discuss a little bit, whether it's about investor relations or if you want to get added to Nighthawk Equity is called our deal ready investor list. It's our notification list. We'd love the opportunity to speak with you on that. Uh, please visit nighthawkequity.com forward slash join. There's just going to be a, a very brief survey. It'll take about 10 seconds, just your name, your contact info, you're joining, and then schedule a call on my calendar. I would love the opportunity to speak with you and uh, get you on our investor list. All right, David, thanks for coming on the show. On behalf of Multifamily by the Size, we appreciate you. For our listeners out there, thank you for tuning in for another great episode. Again, if you want more a bonus content or free resources, check us out at multifamilybytheslice.com. Be blessed and have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Multifamily by the Slice podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review. Lastly, check out the show notes for links to topics discussed, as well as website and social media links for Dre, Ike, and our guest. See you next week.